try not to make it that, you know, my and his decisions trump anybody else's decisions, you know, like we don't hold that type of like, well, whatever's better for me and Steven means that the everybody else below us doesn't get the same, you know, respect or doesn't get the same say in what's going on. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Well, welcome to episode 278. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a conversation with Jill and Steven. They've been together for over 18 years, and they just have a beautiful story, and we're so excited to get it out there. Yeah, I... I don't, I'm not allowed to play favorites. No, we're not. But I love this conversation. <laughs> and I would say it is one of my favorites, if I'm allowed to say that. You can say whatever you want, actually. We're, you're the, ho- we're, I, we, we are, are the host. We, we are the hosts. <laughs> we are your hosts, Emma and Finn. I think one of the things, though, that really stands out to me about this is really just the way that Jill and Steven see life as an adventure, see life as a journey, and sort of as an experiment. And as you'll hear them talk about, that's how they live it. And I think it's beautiful. And I think they do a really amazing job of encapsulating that. And so thank you to both of you for coming on and sharing and living, like living it authentically. You don't just talk it, you live it. And that's hard to do. They want each other to be happy above all else. And that was very clear. That came across very clear in the conversation. Yeah. And one of the reasons I believe, (laughs) look at me just ascribing things to these people. (laughs) One one of the things that is really amazing about the work that they do, especially on Jill's side, is she's a death doula, a certified death doula. And she has a website and a business called End of Life Clarity. And she also runs a podcast called Seeing Death Clearly. Yes. We talk about both. Yeah, she talks about both towards the end. So we don't need to talk a ton about that, but it is incredibly powerful work. And I think it informs much of how they just seize every day. Yeah. It's amazing. They're amazing. So we stop playing favorites, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone who's a premium subscriber, we're going to jump into the interview right now. And for everyone else, we have a couple of announcements before we jump in. And don't don't go anywhere. We have some new announcements. So First First up. (laughs) If you're not familiar with the premium subscription, I'm going to talk fast for this one. Do it. (laughs) It's a way to skip these intros at the front, jump right into the interview for only a couple bucks a year, whatever you choose. And it's a way to support the show as well. You can sign up on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Scroll down on the homepage and you can find links there. But don't worry. If you do that, you're not going to miss all of the important information because we put the important dates in the outro. Exactly. Like one great important date. We have an upcoming meet and greet this coming Friday. February, no. Not February. We're into March now. (laughs) This coming Friday, March 10th. (laughs) March 10th. Please don't make us go back and do February again. (laughs) Uh, We have a virtual meet and greet. This is a great way to meet like-minded people, hang out for a couple hours, and just have fun, relax. And these are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the events tab. It's a pay-what-you-want system, so you can choose what you want to pay. And we we would absolutely, absolutely love you to, you to join us. 
we would indeed. And while you're on that events page, you're going to notice another event. That's new. There's a new event on March 30th. It is called Dating Your Way. And we are doing a collaboration with Marie Tween, who actually was on one of our Focus Fridays episodes about compersion. She does, she's a dating coach. She's written her PhD thesis on compersion. She's an all-around amazing human and friend of ours. And we are doing a collaborative workshop yeah. on dating, dating yeah. being non-monogamous and what that's going, what we're going to talk about there, actually what Marie is going to talk about, we're just going to be there to be the the peanut gallery, <laughs> but how to clearly communicate your intentions and just clear communication, the best apps and ways to meet people, how to craft an amazing profile, and most importantly, how to make and how to bring the joy and meaning back to the practice of dating. Yes. And to make it fun. To, exactly. We're Which super th- excited about this. It's going to be a this. fun workshop. Yeah, no, it is. It's, we're super excited about this. To join, again, as we said, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the events tab. It's going to be happening on March 30th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and it costs 35 bucks to join. Unless you're a member of our community. Then you get a discount. Then you get a $10 discount. Which brings us to a wonderful piece of information about our community. Yes. So if you want to join our community, we have an online virtual community who also meets in person at times. It does. But yes, primarily online with some in-person events. Yeah, there's almost 300 people in there supporting each other every day, living together, laughing together, loving together. And it is a wonderful group of humans. We do monthly Q&A calls. We do a men's group. We do a women's group. We do it all. And it's fun. It's only five bucks a month to join. And you can, on our website, Clearly, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab. You can find out all of the information there. And just to be clear, you do not need to be a member of the community to be to join the meet and greets or to join the workshop. Correct. Correct. Or or to join have, the next thing we're about to tell you right, about. Right. Which, if you've been listening the last few weeks, you've heard us talk about Southwest Love Fest, April 14th to the 16th in Tucson, Arizona. This is a an amazing conference. We're so excited to be part of. We're going to be hosting a workshop there. So we can't wait for that event. You can Sign up and use the code EMMA for 10% off. Yeah, and you can just go right to Southwest Love Fest's website, or there's links in the podcast player below or in your sh- in our show notes. And they're not your show notes. They're our show notes. <laughs> on our website, normalizingmonogamy.com, you click on the podcast tab, and you will see pictures and everything that all of our guests have ever talked about for almost 300 episodes listed there. So check that out. Yes. Last but not least... Definitely not least. Our, our favorite way to get what you were, <laughs> we were gonna say it at the same time. You wanna our do fa- it? You wanna do it? Our, our favorite, favorite way, way to, to get, get tested, tested for STIs. SCCheck.com. Hold on. You went blurry. You get so fast. Say it slower. <laughs> say it slower. STDcheck.com. Thank you. <laughs> Links are, again, in the show notes for the podcast or in your podcast player or on our resources page. If you use those links, you save $10, which brings the cost of a 10-panel test down to $129. This is an amazing service. It's fast. It's easy. It's simple. It's easy. It's simple. It's it's pretty amazing. So check it out. All of the amazing humans who use it can't be wrong. It's a great way to know your status so you can share your status so everybody is informed making wonderful decisions as you're out there putting your dating skills to test, your meet and greet skills to test, or maybe you're you're mingling around Southwest Love Fest. Yeah, all of the above. Yeah. And with that, 
Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You've heard it us say it all of the time. You can reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, come on the podcast. Just give us some feedback. Ask us a question. Maybe you could be our next favorite episode. <laughs> True. Not favorite. No. One of our favorites. We don't We don't have favorites, remember? <laughs> we have a list of favorites. I have 278 favorite episodes, Emma. That's true. How many do you have? Plus the Focus Fridays. It's true. So I have more than that. All right. Fine. <laughs> Way to one-up me. We'll see everybody on the other side. Let's go talk to Jill and Steven. Let's go. Welcome to the podcast, Jill and Steven. We are thrilled to talk to you this morning, and we're glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm excited. Yeah, we are too. We, we've we been chatting for a few minutes. We, I mean, first of all, I, I'm going to call it out. Steven didn't even know what he was doing this morning. He just had a calendar invite and showed up and found out he was on a podcast. So <laughs> it's awesome. So maybe maybe starting with introducing yourselves would be a wonderful warm-up question. You can go first, honey. Sure. My name's Steven. Um, we live in New Jersey in the Philadelphia suburbs. I'm 41. I'm cisgendered white male. Jill and I have been married for be 18 years this year. Yeah. And we've been essentially together since I was 18 and she was a little older. She was over 21 in the freshman dorm, but I didn't drink to matter, but <laughs> as a good boy. Um, yeah. And we're here to talk about our journey together and our non-monogamy experience and how it's evolved. And I'm happy to share our story because I think it's pretty cool. I think so yeah. too. And yeah. And so awesome. my name's Jill. I'm I am a l- little bit older than Steven. I'm 44. I know I can't spit it out of my mouth. Um, so yeah, so when I first met Steven, he was like the geeky younger guy. Um, but we became best friends almost immediately when we met. And we've been basically together since that moment, even though we weren't dating for a while. Um, you know, it took me a little bit of time to <laughs> to realize that I liked Steven more than just a friend. But um yeah. I mean, like Steven said, we live outside of Philly. I love this area. I was originally from New Jersey. Um, even though I moved around a lot, came back home and now we've got two kids. We've been here now for, I don't know what, 14 years or so. And I love Jersey. it. Yeah. New Jersey. Right after we got married, essentially, actually, after we got married, we took a six month <laughs> trip through Europe, which was amazing. And then wow. we moved back home to New Jersey. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your story, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, by the end of your story, how much it overlaps with ours. So far, we have coo- we have cougars in common. <laughs> we have both, both of our wives are older. Right. They were both smitten for us, but wouldn't admit it what? for a long time. <laughs> and we spent some time in Europe <laughs> after graduation. And so San Francisco, I, right? That's where we And San lived. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, I do need to correct something. I we don't have time. We've got to get on with the interview. <laughs> I just want to say that he had a crush on me for years. It was it went that way first. Oh. It was. <laughs> I believe it was mutual. Me. But I I was the nerdy young it, guy. Yes. Yes. Intimidated yes. by your. It was prowess. It as was a mutual. But I just have to say that you weren't like innocent in that whole thing. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, I was when, younger than you. When I met Steven, he was um, dating a young woman from his hometown, and he was so in love with her. And the thing that I loved so much about him was that as a woman, it is unusual to become friendly with a guy that it doesn't eventually 
that they try to do something, right? Whether it's they want to ask you out or tell you that they love you or try to like feel you up when you're watching a movie. And Steven like never did any of that. I never felt so comfortable around probably any human, but especially around another like man that I was like, wow, this guy's really special. I was like, there's something really different about him. And then it eventually hit me one day where I was like, oh, oh no, because he stole this girlfriend. And so I kind of like pulled away a little bit because I was not going to influence that situation at all. And then she dumped him and I was like, oh, Okay, here we go. <laughs> Works out well for me. But I mean, one of the things that Stephen and I have told people many times about our relationship together was that we always were really good at communicating with each other. I felt very safe telling him anything and everything about my life before I met him, during the time that we were together as friends. And so when he was going home for Christmas break, him and I had been together for maybe a month or two at that point. And he had said to me, you know, she really wants to get back together with me and I don't know what's going to happen. And it was very honest when I said this, I said, I don't care whether you're with me or whether you're with her, as long as you're happy. Like, I just want you to be happy. And it was true. And it was genuine. And I was like, even kind of surprised by it where I was like, wow, like that, that means something different, you know, where Mm -hmm. like, if I could love somebody in a way that. I just want them to be happy, even if that means that like, they're not with me. Mm-hmm. And it was true. And I realized, I think at that moment, I was like, oh, this is the guy I want to marry. Like, not only like, are we dating now? But I was like, this is it. Like, this is the person for me. So especially ha- to have that at like age 22, by the way, or like 21, like you're young, right? Yeah. And I think I knew at that point too. Like she, I went home and I felt comfortable telling Joel you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Right. I felt comfortable communicating that to her and having her say that she just wants me to be happy. And my ex just wanted me. Mm-hmm. I just, I just knew at that point, like, I mean, it took us a couple of years to get married, but I always remember that. Yeah. Well, you know, we had some things to navigate. I had had some, you know, trauma from, you know, sexual Be, assault being a woman in the world. I know being a yeah. woman in the world, you know, and like, I had to like work through some of that. And Steven was always very like patient and loving and like helped me work through it. Um, allowed me to have the space to work through it on my own. Um, and pretty early on in our relationship, I had said to him, my ex before him, we were living in very, like I was in Virginia, he was up in Rhode Island. And I had said to him, like, I don't care what you do. Just don't lie to me. Like, if you want to like go out and have sex with people, like go out on dates, like, I don't care. I just don't want to be lied to. And he was like, Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever. And then like, I found out he actually had another girlfriend, like a whole thing. Right. And I was like, but, and he was like, well, I thought you were kidding. Like, why would anybody really say that? And I was like, okay, fine. I was like, we are done. So like, again, Steven knew that whole story from when we were friends. So like when we really started to get together, I was kind of like, I mean, I really do mean that. Like, if you want to do anything with anybody else, I don't care. Just don't lie to me about it. I don't, I don't care about sex. And at that point I wasn't sure about like another relationship that was maybe a little bit of a stretch for me, but you know, I also didn't have a dad. So like, I definitely had some of that like wounding of like, 
I needed to feel like I was secure. And so I think Mm -hmm. at that point, having another relationship was a stretch. But as far as like anything else, I was like, I don't care what you do. Just don't lie to me. And he was like, okay, sure. (laughs) Like whatever. And it felt like he heard me and he listened and we were able to have that conversation and basically set our relationship up. Like you said, very young. I mean, we were 20, probably at that point, 23 and 20. And we're like having this conversation of like, I don't care what you do. It doesn't like, doesn't matter as long as we're secure in our relationship. As long as you're coming home to me and we're feeling secure, then I was fine. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm curious on, on your end, Stephen, did, how did you feel about that? I mean, I can like, I think first of all, it's like a super progressive way of thinking at, at, at any age, but mm-hmm. definitely at that age. And I can also see hearing that at that age and being like, what the hell? Like, I mean, clearly your other boyfriend was like, no, she's, that's a trap. I'm not going to play that. I'll, I'll just lie to her. Like, <laughs> well, I, I, I credit my parents with raisingly exceptionally well. They're great role models. They've been married for 43 years. They were high school sweethearts. You know, we, we never used the language of like my dad and my mom being feminist, but like my dad is definitely a feminist. Like my mom is the breadwinner in the family. My dad quit his job to raise my younger siblings. Um, he always showed me respect for all people, especially respect for women, especially respect for my mom. So I grew up with the mindset of like, that's just how, that's just how the world is. So hearing Jill's stories kind of opened my eyes to like what the world is actually like for most people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when she broached this subject with me, I was just, you know, it was not something I had ever heard of (laughs) non-monogamy, but I trusted Jill and I listened to her and we didn't even really like, open up for years after that. I never, I never had any interest in like doing anything else or having side relationships or like sleeping around. Like, just, is not how I was. I was very like career oriented and, you know, I would say family focused, not at that point, maybe family focused, but you know, I had a girlfriend in Jill and that was, that suited my relationship needs Mm -hmm. in college. I was very active. I was on the student council and I was organizing events and you know i was helping out in classes so like my mind was never like on sex and drinking when i was in college which Mm -hmm. also makes it unusual (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean that was something that we had talked about and i was just like all right like cool (laughs) yeah i love it i love it. it and it sounds like you said it was a few years before Anything other than a conversation ever happened around it? And I'm maybe just curious. Around non-monogamy. Around non-monogamy. Yeah. How did it, how did it evolve? I mean, for each of you, I imagine even though you were in a relationship, it probably evolved internally for each of you in a slightly, slightly different way. I think when we moved to San Francisco, I'd heard about swinging and I was like, Hmm, that sounds like that might be fun. So we had that conversation of like, do you want to try going maybe to like some of these parties and like see what happens? Um, and we tried that for a little while. Like we went to some parties and met some really cool people where, um, you know, maybe we would have like kind of, kind of relationships with like friendships. There's actually one couple that we're still friendly with, even though they're still in California and we're in New Jersey. 
but it didn't really fit us very well. I think it seemed like often, and again, this is not all the time, but often in the swinger community, first off, we were a lot younger because we were like Mm -hmm. at that point, 24, maybe. (laughs) Um, and a lot of the people were older. A lot of the men were very old and the women were younger, still older than me, but very, it just, I, I tended to feel like I was like, going along with it for the experience, but not necessarily because I was super attracted to the guy. And so we just kind of were like, eh, this is just not really for us. But like, again, we met some really cool people and we had some good times at some of these parties, but just wasn't for us. And so we were like, all right, well, I guess, you know, we're still in an open relationship, you know, and we continue to have conversations. We got married. We just talked about how we can still kind of do whatever we wanted. Just let's not lie to each other about it. And then the conversation got a little bit deeper about like, well, what about if it's a friend, you know, are we comfortable with that? Or is it only if it was like somebody that we didn't really know? Because if it's a friend that makes it different, like that's essentially a relationship that then is evolving into sex. And we weren't really comfortable with that yet. It was like, maybe let's not do that. And then it was like, okay, cool. And then we moved to New Jersey. We opened a bakery in a very small town. So we did nothing but work. Plus we lived in a small town. So again, it was still one of those things of like, well, this is still the rule. Rule. Mm -hmm. You know, I say rule loosely. Like Mm -hmm. that we could do whatever we want. But at that point we were so busy working. And we also were a little cautious in that we had a lot of younger women working for us. And so we didn't really want anything to potentially like, we didn't even talk about it with anybody at that point because we didn't want anything to potentially get weird. And so we just kind of left it alone, but it was still something that we felt really confident in. And then actually one time it was funny because Steven came home and he was like, so one of the customers of the bakery, when you were not there and it was just me and her was practically like climbing over the counter and like wanting to hook up with me. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And she was really cute and she was attractive, but I was like, something just doesn't feel right about this. Like you can do what you want, but as a woman and as your wife and as your business partner, I'm going to recommend that this is probably not a good idea. It just, she doesn't feel (laughs) like she's mentally stable right now. Like it just, there's a lot of weird things. And then it turns out there was a lot of weird things with this woman. Like later on, it all came out amongst like the town members. And I was like, Oh, see, well, I got to chime in. I did. I took Jill's advice and kept it. <laughs> he did. Yeah. yeah. Cause, but- I, Cause I trusted her. I trusted her to, I, I knew it wasn't coming from a place of jealousy or a place of like, yeah. um, disrespect. It came from yeah. a place of love that she was keeping an eye out for me. Yeah. That's yeah. I took her advice not to like hook up with this beautiful young woman. <laughs> And if we did not have the relationship that we had, especially at that point, because we were working constantly, so we were always together, but it was mainly at work, it would have been easy, I think, for some other people to potentially go along with it because it's tempting when you have Mm -hmm. somebody that's really young and attractive. And maybe you and your wife are so busy that like you're barely having sex because all you do is work and go home and go to sleep because you're exhausted. And the fact that he felt comfortable coming to me with it. And like he said, he knew that the 
feedback I was giving him was not from a place of jealousy, it could have ended up really messy, like it did for somebody else in the town. And I was very happy that he came home and he talked to me about it. So we had still that openness. We had still that connection and that um, a like ability to communicate with each other, even though we weren't necessarily like practicing anything outside of a normal, what looks like a normal monogamous relationship. And at that point basically was a normal monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And a, 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 the thing you point out there where it would have been so easy to hear, Hey, there's this beautiful person hitting on me, right? Whoever. And their partner being like, oh yeah, that's, I don't think that's a good idea. And it's so easy to be like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. It's not, I get, I get that. I can see why you wouldn't like that. Right. And, but you didn't, you hadn't established a different foundation for your relationship for, for multiple years leading up to that point. So that wasn't even really even a question, which I think is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we have been together so long and we've, you know, really developed as adults together and we've mm-hmm. established such a rapport of mutual respect and trust for each other because we have a healthy communicative relationship. It would never cross my mind that she would be doing something hurtful to me or, you know, mm-hmm. out of the wrong emotions. Right. And I mm-hmm. love that about us. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why I love you so much. I know. I love you too, honey. <laughs> I love that. I I was also curious back on when you went out to California and started exploring a little bit of the swinging scene, did anything ever come like how how did those experiences go? And again, you don't have to like get into all the details, but just that, I mean, that's a big step for many people to even think about inviting even just sexually into their relationship. Something other than the two of them is a very, daunting daunting or it's a big deal and and i just like i think it was amazing that you just kind of like glossed over it like it was just yeah and then we uh, then we both picked up you know playing shuffleboard on the weekends but it was i think there's maybe something there that maybe the casual aspect of it but i'm just curious like how did those that time go for the two of you well i I think we both feel like life is an adventure right Mm -hmm. so we met in college and we moved to california you know, we didn't have jobs, didn't have an apartment, just packed our civic and drove cross country. You know, we backpacked through Europe. We started swinging. We opened a bakery. Like it's not, you know, it it is not, it's not a thing to gloss over, but it's part of a pattern of just embracing the coolness of life. Right. I would say for me, it was challenging because I was more insecure than I was not, as I mentioned, like really sexually adventurous. I had had one partner at that point, my high school girlfriend and then Jill. And as she mentioned, like I was by far the youngest man in any of these situations. It was a bunch of like older dudes and their hot young wives, which I did appreciate, but I was also, you know, I was intimidated. Um, And so I never felt like really comfortable with most people or most situations that we were in. But I, again, like trusted Jill and I wanted to experience these things with her and it opened up conversations. It made us more communicative and in touch with each other. Uh, and we did have some really nice experiences. Like mm-hmm. she said, you know, we developed some friendships that we're, we still have to this day. So it wasn't like all bad, but it was definitely, oh, it was awkward for me a lot because I was just mm-hmm. an awkward young man. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Stories are tracking pretty close, guys. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of overlap. <laughs> I'd say we're at about seventy-five percent at the moment. So oh yeah, you're God. doing well. It's so funny. Yeah, and for me, I was very aware of Stephen's feelings, and so there was definitely times when, like, a lot of what I was paying attention to was like what he was doing just to make sure that like he felt comfortable, but also knowing that both of us felt safe enough to be like, no, like if I'm not comfortable, we pro- I think we even had like a secret signal. Like if one of us was like yeah. ready to like move on and like, especially when you're at a party, you know, there's like mm-hmm. people everywhere. And so there was times when we would be together. And then there was times when we would kind of like gravitate apart from each other. So we were always kind of keeping an eye on each other and like kind of looking for like that secret signal of like, please let's get out of here. And I don't think we could have gone into it if we didn't feel completely safe that if I said, Hey, we really have to go. Even if he was having a great time, he would have been like, all right, I'm done. Let's go. And we needed to have that or else we wouldn't have been able to, especially being so young, you know, go into this situation and navigate it. So it really Mm -hmm. was that foundation of trust and respect and communication that we started with that allowed Mm -hmm. us to try it out for a while and then kind of move on and just... I guess it just evolved, you know, our relationship has evolved and then our relationship with non-monogamy has evolved as well, depending on what state of our life we've been in. Yeah. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought back this swinging. I was going to ask a question about that too. So I'm glad that you guys were able to touch on that. Um, Cause, cause like, I like what you said, Stephen of like, oh, it's just kind of like part of like, you just went through the checklist in some ways, like life's an adventure. This is part of it. But, but for a lot of people that would be like, oh no, that's like a big piece. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's people who take decades to get to the point that you glossed over in three and a half seconds. And I think <laughs> that just is amazing that it, I think it sort of shows the, the really highlights the way that you two move through life together, adventuring. And I, I think it's amazing. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about it. I think a lot of that goes back to, again to my parents. Like the way they raised me was non-judgmental. You know, I grew up without religion, so there's no shame attached to it mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people have that. You know, Jill's a recovering Catholic, so there's, you know, some shame issues in there. But for me, it was just like sex is part of life. You know, it's just... Yeah. Like, why not? It can be, yeah, why not? Exactly. It can be amazing. It can be awful. It can, it's just a, another experience of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I, lo- I love that you tied that back, like, kind of thinking through, like, what influences in your life have led you to that point. Because, you know, in your early 20s, you have a lot of life experience kind of by like role models in that by that time, right? right. But uh, the main ones typically, generally, are some sort of caregivers, your parents Mm -hmm. or parental figures. And so having that as the model that you, that you had sounds like it really definitely shaped the way you went through your twenties and, and went went through your life, right? Like with that open mind and the, the non-judgmental piece and your lack of shame. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing that piece in. You were going to ask a question. Yeah. I was just mainly curious what, so, so you, you dodged the bullet in the bakery, the, the 
yeah, your seducer, as we'll call her. <laughs> and where, but maybe it sounds like that really brought the conversation back to like a place of reality that this, this could happen, that there's actually people that might be interested. I'm curious where the story kind of goes from there. We had a couple kids. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so we had the bakery. We were living with my grandmother at the time. My grandmother was aging and she was sick. And so, you know, I was taking care of her and then she eventually um, died and we found out we were pregnant with the second one and like life just kept moving. Mm -hmm. And then we closed our bakery because Stephen had to get a real job because it turns out that in the United States anymore, you can't have mom and pop businesses. Somebody needs, yeah, somebody needs like a real income with like insurance. So he went Mm -hmm. to work in the city that's how we ended up moving outside of the city where we're at now. And so we had the two kids, we moved, you know, both of us had like semi-regular jobs, like Monday to Friday, we weren't working, you know, 19 hours a day. We weren't working all kinds of crazy hours. And when I was, at the Oh, I guess actually, yeah, you still were <laughs> working. Yeah, you lot. were working a lot. And I guess that was some of it too. Yeah. Now that I think about it, he was working at the hotel and so he was constantly at work. I was home by myself a lot with our kids um, and then trying to work during the day. And uh, he won employee of the year. Man- manager of the year. Manager of the year. And so the hotel gave him a trip to anywhere in the United States that we wanted to go. And we were able to stay at a Ritz Carlton. They paid for our flight. They paid for the hotel, like all this stuff. So we were like, we're going back to California. Like we are 100% going back to California. So we stayed at the Ritz Carlton in Philly or in Philly, in San Francisco, um, for a couple nights and then drove down the coast, went to, um, where was that one down South? Uh, Laguna Niguel. Laguna Niguel, which was amazing. It was like right on the ocean. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh God, it was amazing. We used to live about a mile from that hotel ah. and it is absolutely stunning. Yeah. It, One of the most beautiful places I've, yeah. It's amazing. And we had to go for free. So that was pretty cool. Um, but when we took that trip out there, we were not spending a lot of time together because, you know, mm-hmm. we had two little kids. I think our daughter was maybe a year old at that time. Um, yeah life is just crazy. And my boss at the time had been trying to have an affair with me. And I, he was one of the first people that I was like, look, man, like my husband and I have this agreement and bosses are not part of this agreement. Like absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Can't do it. But I was lonely. And so like, I felt like the attraction to the attention. And so when Steven and I went out to California and we were able to like be together again, and spend time together, we had the conversation where I was like, look, you know, like I'm lonely. I don't see you like this got closer than I'm comfortable with because I needed interaction. So we decided that maybe we would try again to like, maybe we'll try out swinging again. Like, I don't know, because it still felt a little bit risky essentially to have like relationships, even though at that point I knew of polyamory and I had already said to Steven, like, I think I'm polyamorous. Like that's what I think the term is for what I felt my entire life essentially. And we decided to get on to like, okay, Cupid and try dating apps. And can, I, can I pause here? Oh yeah. There's yeah. like a, a simultaneous storyline going here. Oh yeah. So when we started in San Francisco, there was a friend of ours who we had, you know, befriended 
when we lived in San Francisco that Jill was always super hot for. Oh, yeah. And we I still like, am. He's amazing. Yeah, he's one of my favorite good, yeah, people. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I had suggested that like we go to San Francisco and they could hook up because like I know they had been having conversations over the last you know several years since we had left, and I knew she was hot for him, and we had sort of had an experience with him before we left that didn't feel finished. Um, and so when we went to San Francisco, we did end up hooking up with him. Yeah. We were supposed to hook up with his girlfriend as well, but she had a traumatic uh, a very death traumatic that morning. That morning yeah. yeah. So she, yeah. again, all four of us being in a good place, she was told her boyfriend, you still do this thing. I know you're really looking forward to it. I, I'm not okay with it right now, which was like beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us had this, you know, wonderful sexual experience and that also night. continued this conversation. <laughs> so that was like a, a theme of our, you know, week in California was built around this experience with this old friend, you know, the conversations that we had had around her boss around, you know, everything and not having the kids with us and being on the West coast and really getting away from everything right? All the obligations of home and kids and business and work and everything really, you know, when you're on vacation, like it opens your mind to have thoughts and feelings and conversations that you don't normally have. So that was a, just a, it was a life-changing vacation. Like truly, it really, there was so, it, it made me end up deciding that I should leave that job. It opened up our, you know, polyamorous relationship much more. It was great. You know, speaking of adventures, that was a really excellent adventure that we were on. Yeah, that was a great. That's amazing. Trip. It was a great trip. And yeah, and it really did change the path that we were on because, you know, when Stephen decided to leave his job, it was the understanding that being with me and the kids was more important than a job. He can find a different job. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I ended up leaving and not working for eight months because I needed to retire from the kitchen from operations. I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't know what I was going to do. But just having that faith to just leave it was yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And scary. <laughs> but, but, but powerful for sure. But he's, he's much better than I am of the, un, like the idea of that. I can take this leap of faith knowing that things will be okay. Even if I don't know what that's going to look like. I still have a little bit of that, like, I don't know, this is really scary. Like, I know things will be okay. I just don't know what that's going to look like. And so I freak out more where he's like, it's going to be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Okay. So that, that is a nice balance between the two of us. But when we got back from that trip, we had gotten on dating apps at that point. Right. This friend that we hooked up with, he was like, oh, you know, my girlfriend and I, we use OkCupid. Yeah. That's how we meet people. (laughs) And yeah. And you know, so we're on this vacation, we're getting on the apps. We're like kind of feeling it out. We're like, what's going on here? And we were doing it together. It was fun. We're building our profiles together and it was exciting. It was. And at that point, OkCupid had just started allowing you to connect profiles for Mm -hmm. people that were in open relationships. So we were like, Ooh, this is cool. So we can actually like connect our profile and we still tried at first to meet other couples because we were like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this would be nice. But with the two kids, some of it was like logistically, it's easier for one of us to go out while the other one stays home with the kids. And then the other one goes out while the other one stays home with the kids. And 
it was nice too, because there's different experiences, you know, sexually that we were interested in exploring that we weren't necessarily Mm -hmm. interested in exploring together, but it allowed us to kind of go out there and like do different things and meet different people and experience things that then we get to like talk about it afterwards. But I don't necessarily want to do what he's doing and he doesn't necessarily want to do what I was doing. And it didn't mean that we didn't want each other to do it though. And so some of it, as we opened like back up into the world of like actually going out and trying to meet people, some of it was about sexual experiences, but a lot of it also for us was we were meeting really cool people, people that I would not have met if it wasn't for the fact that we had this relationship style. And there's people that I'm still really close friends with. And Steven's really like close friends with people that he dated that were not necessarily in those relationships in that way anymore, but we're able to still have those friendships and those relationships have again evolved over time where we are still very close to those people. We still love them, but we're not necessarily in romantic or sexual relationships anymore. I'm going to pause right here and figure out why the dog is barking. Cause I don't know if you yeah. hear it, but it's really, uh, yep, you're, good. Yeah. Bark. you're good. You know, that's, that's kids for you. They're like running around probably with the, uh, the dogs. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. We're actually dog sitting right now. One of Steven's, I guess you would still say this person is still one of his partners. Um, mm-hmm. so we, we get their dogs fairly regularly and you know it's nice it's again it's kind of like an extended family for us to have all these people in our lives and then you know their kids their dogs their other partners you know all of it has kind of added to our life in a way that we would have never been able to do if we weren't so comfortable in developing relationships with other people yeah. That's amazing. And I'm I'm curious at this stage of the the journey roughly what age were you? Like how like I, right after of, right after the California? Yeah, the California trip into sort of yeah, letting that open Building back Building the okay like profiles. Mid 30s. Yeah. So yeah, we were I was probably about 36, 37, so Stephen would have been like 34, 35. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We call that period the tramp age. The tramp age. Yes. <laughs> now I'm in my mid thirties. I'm feeling much more confident in myself. I'm an older man. I'm more comfortable with my body. And I had some really, really fun experiences. <laughs> we, we had fun experiences together. together we had apart, them separately. Yeah. I mean, we went to some clubs in Philly sometimes. We've been again to parties that, yeah, we just showed up to them differently now that Mm -hmm. it was, you know, 10 years later and we were Mm -hmm. just older and more confident in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, there's a, like a, a a weird question. I'm curious because Steven, I, I kind of tracked that, you know, Joe called you the nerdy, the nerdy younger guy and that's, yeah, I can relate. So I'm curious, did you feel in that mid thirties timeframe that like, the awkward wore off. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I mean, some of the awkward wore off and some of the awkwardness was embraced. Right. Um, I found that women really appreciated who I was 
mm-hmm. because I'm a good listener, because I'm a good communicator, because I'm respectful, and because I'm weird and awkward, but I embrace that and it's just who I am. I always showed up as myself, right? I wasn't, mm-hmm. there was no con or there was no deceiving. There was no like ulterior motives, right? And so mm-hmm. I would show up on dates and just be myself. And I think I'm yeah. a pretty decent person. <laughs> so like yeah, it worked out very well for me. And I'm, you know, I'm not a bad looking guy. So like that certainly helped. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, the awkwardness wore off, but the awkwardness was also just part of who I was and I was okay with that. Yep. And I think it, and I think there is a shift that happened somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm maybe sort of in this phase of, yeah, it's not that it wears off, but people start to see it as more of a positive than I think when you're in your early 20s and it's like, who's this weird guy? And then it later on, it's like, there, it's it's sort of embraced in a different way a decade later, I've kind of noticed in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, there's less of the, you know, I feel like when you are in high school and you're in college and you're in your early 20s, there's minds are still young and there's still that perception of like what the cool guy is. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so in my early twenties, I still, I still had that perception of, I mm-hmm. wasn't a cool guy. So I didn't, I was still, like you said, awkward, but I didn't embrace that awkwardness mm-hmm. because I didn't feel it myself. I didn't feel like I was the cool guy. Yeah. Or I was, it didn't feel like I was attractive because I was still felt like I was in a young body, especially with these like beautiful older women and these older men that we were swinging with in San Francisco where in Philly I'm on dates with people my age or, you know, younger women and, and they see me differently, but they see me differently because I see myself differently. Mm -hmm. I was much more confident. I try not to be, you know, arrogant or cocky about it, but Mm -hmm. having humility and, certainly goes a long way as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Steven doesn't really care what people think about him, which is part of what I've always loved in the sense, like, again, he's not going out and like doing nasty things. Cause he doesn't care. He hurts people. But even like last night we were at a school event in again, kind of a small town and our daughter had to get drug along because it was her brother's event and she brought her makeup kit. So like in this giant auditorium with like all these parents and all these kids and all these teachers and the mayor and all this stuff. She's putting lipstick on Steven and blush and she drew little hearts on both of our faces. And so for the rest of the night, me and Steven walked around with lipstick blush and hearts on our faces because she did it to both of us because he doesn't care. It was more about the experience with me and our daughter that Rather than being like, you can't put lipstick on me. I'm a guy. Like, guys don't wear lipstick. It, there was none of that. It was like, oh, sure, you want to worry. What color you want to do? What, which one do you think would look better on me, you know? And so for the rest of the night, we walked around. And I know that there I was probably... About, I yeah, about that. There was probably... Until I got home. Yeah, there was probably people... I'm like, talking to the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure there was folks in that room that were just like, what is up with those two? Because there's people in town that know that we're polyamorous, which again, they tend to get very confused about like what we actually are. So we've heard all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff, but you know, we definitely do not try to follow the crowd. And I've kind of always been that way, but being with Steven and doing it together, 
allows me to really feel confident and feel safe doing that of just being like, look, y'all, this is me, like take it or leave it. You know, like I don't walk around with a sign on my shirt saying I'm polyamorous, but if it comes up in a conversation or like right now, both Steven and I have, you know, partners that we've had for many years. My partner and I have been together for four years. I think him and his partner have been together for three years. So, you know, they come to the house, they hang out with the kids, they come to our parties. Our neighbors are kind of like, who, what? And then it's like, oh, well, this is so-and-so. And we just, we just go with the flow. And so most people are like, oh, all right, sure. Whatever, whatever works for you is fine with us. Um, there has been some judgment. I mean, I've definitely met some people in town that have been judgmental about it, but in the long run, I don't care. I don't like them anyway. You know, when it comes Mm -hmm. down to it, I've realized that like, they're not my people. I don't like them for other reasons and that's Mm -hmm. okay too. But we just, yeah, this like confidence that has come with age, but really a lot of that confidence I think also is because we really help build each other's confidence up in that, you know, there was times when maybe Steven was like getting ready to go on a date or he comes home from a date and like, we'll have conversations. And I'm like, you're amazing. Like, come on, you're amazing. Everybody loves you. And it's true. Like women really love him. You know, when we meet people, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's kind of like, you know, they're maybe men that are like, you know, thirties, forties that are single and they're complaining about it. And Steven never has a problem having more than one partner other than me. Like if he wanted to, we just don't have time for it. But I mean, like if you're the right type of person and you show up the right way, women will love you. Even if you are a little geeky and a little bit awkward in some ways, they will really love you. Steven has no problem finding more women than he could actually deal with. And- I have met some truly fantastic human beings through yeah. the dating sites and the, the dating scene, even not the dating scene. I've or like organically met people like when on business travels that we've met organically and just had beautiful experiences. And, um, it's really cool. Yeah. And it's just having those connections. What I, what I love about polyamory and like where we're at now is like, I'm, I feel f- totally free and totally comfortable to meet someone and not have limits on where it can stop. Like where my marriage says it has to stop where society says it has to stop. And so, you know, it doesn't happen very often and it hasn't happened in a couple of years now, but like knowing that I could meet somebody and then just see where it goes is really mm-hmm. fun and liberating and exciting and potentially beautiful. Right. Yeah. My and partner I- and I met organically. It wasn't on a dating site. It was at a meditation center that we go to together and just over many months of interacting with each other. Then eventually it was kind of like, well, I mean, do you want to get coffee sometimes? And then I had to kind of put it out there and be like, so here's the deal. Like my husband and I were polyamorous. Like I'm not even asking you to get coffee necessarily as like a date, but like, I would like to spend more time with you outside of this space and just talk because we had a lot of things in common that we like to talk about. And he was like, Whoa, wait, okay. What? And I was like, here's the deal. This is how it works. And then it just kind of grew from there, but it really was not, you know, something that I ever intended to happen, but it is a beautiful relationship that I would not have been able to pursue if Steven and I didn't have the relationship style that we have, because essentially with 
you know, probably most other husbands that I could have ended up marrying. If I would have said, Hey, I met this guy at my meditation center and I was hoping we could get coffee together sometimes so we could get to know each other or just have this conversation. I wouldn't have been allowed to, you know, Mm -hmm. and in this case, I came home and I was like, Stephen, I was like, I gave my number to this guy. <laughs> actually, I think I remember that. It was really fun. he was picking me up actually for a Christmas party. So it was more, I was wearing this like crazy Christmas sweater with this weird Santa hat on my head. It was like the strangest night. And he picks me up and I was like, I gave my number to a guy at meditation. And he was like, oh yeah, like what's, what's the deal? Like, you know? <laughs> and so the whole like drive, I was like, I don't know, like I'm really anxious. Like what if he doesn't text me? What if he thinks I'm weird? And like, and it, you know, it was, it was all part of the experience. I love that him and I go through these experiences together. And in some ways, you know, like his ex partner, it's hard because when relationships end, like my relationship with her had to end as well. And I really loved her. We were actually really close. We used to joke, I guess not even really joke, we were that we were sister wives because like that relationship that I had with her was more even though like it wasn't a sexual relationship between her and I, it was very much a like this is between the three of us in a lot of ways. And so when that relationship ended, my relationship with her ended as well. But on the other hand, you know, I got home from work yesterday and Steven was on the phone. And when, you know, he got a phone, he was like, oh, I just called, you know, your partner because I needed some advice about something. And so we talked on the phone and he gave me great advice. And so it brings people into our lives that it's not just between me and my partner and between Steven and his partner. It's really that we're creating these like beautiful relationships that help guide us in a mm-hmm. lot of different areas of our life, including yeah. dogs, like this little fuzzy one that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is now joining us. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious on the part about when, when Steven's relationship ended, I can understand why, like why you ended that relationship as well, Joe, but I'm curious because I don't think it has to be that way. And I'm curious how you two. Wait, I think maybe was it your partner's par- partner? Your other, like your boyfriend's partner? No, no. So a metamorph relationship. It, yes. It was. Steven, right. Which would also be a metamorph. That would also be a metamorph. Yes. My metamorph, who was Steven's partner. So she chose to end the relationship with both of us. She just Got needed it. to yeah. have that split essentially. Um, yeah. plus, you know, like with a lot of things in life, in some ways, the ending of the relationship was when I finally had to kind of come forward and be like, look, like this, this is not working for me and my family. Like mm-hmm. we can have this discussion, you know, we can work through all of this together, but this is where I need to interject and say, I feel like my children are potentially being harmed. And so sure. I need to put a stop to some of this. And so, you know, I'm very sweet and very loving and very kind, but I'm also very fiercely protective of my children. And so I think, you know, when the relationship ended, but Steven's still friends with her. Actually, Steven's going to her birthday party next weekend. And, you know, and that's great. Like, I'm glad they're still friends. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of it was that she really just needed to kind of cut ties with the entire situation. And I understand Mm -hmm. it and I respect it. Um, but I do, you know, I miss her. I really loved her. I thought she was awesome. I still think she's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate just even that little extra piece. Cause I, what it, what I think I took away from that was that's not like a rule that you two live by that. Well, if one of us ends our relationship with a partner, the metamor relationship gets severed as well. Um, that was sort of just a function of, of that relationship and how that one worked out. And I think I just wanted to ask that question because I could hear people saying like, Oh, well, yeah, they, Stephen and her ended the relationship, so of course, yeah, they're just she just gets cut out. But that's not really that's not no, really not yet. not at all. And honestly, yeah, we really have rules. Uh-uh. Like yeah. really, the only rules we ever had were don't get yourself killed and don't be an asshole. And that's really it. Yeah, I mean, we didn't yeah. want to put restrictions on each other, right? We had boundaries for ourselves, but we never imposed those. Well, they're not boundaries if you impose them on somebody else, but. We, we have enough mutual respect and trust in each other that we didn't need or feel the desire to put all these like rules in place. We felt it overly complicated things and not set traps, but like if you were of the mindset, like if you truly love someone, you let, you let it go. Right. <laughs> so we gave each other the freedom to be ourselves. However, that looks like as long as yeah. we didn't get ourselves killed and we were an asshole to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is huge. I mean, I feel like those two rules you could you could live your whole life by and and cover pretty much all the bases, which yeah. is amazing. Um I think I think there are there is room for what is an asshole to one person may not be to another, and I know then you can get in the weeds a little bit there about well, what are some of the the nuances to that? But I think in general, you get a pretty good vibe for that mm-hmm. with your partners. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. There is, you know, definitely nuances into like, you know, what an asshole actually is. But I think, you know, the basic was we were not out to do this to harm anybody, you know, like that's why it is ethical non-monogamy, I guess, is the way some people word it. Right. And I will admit that there was times when I got into relationships that maybe were not as ethical as I would like. And Stephen was always, he never told me not to do it, but he also was like, have you thought this through? This is maybe not the greatest idea. And me being a little stubborn, I don't always listen. I will always 100% admit that anytime he's ever warned me about a relationship, he's always been right. Um, So one of these days I will probably start listening better, but (laughs) it was really that, you know, we didn't want to hurt people. It was more that if we develop these relationships, we're doing it in a way that we're being honest with everybody so that they know that, you know, Stephen and I are a unit. We're like, we're not, we are not breaking up. If you come into a relationship with one of us, it's with full understanding that we are going to be together and you can be together with us. Even if that means that there's, you know, some people are not as comfortable being as close knit, you know, we're like me and Steven and my partner, we have a group text that we've had for years and all day long, the three of us are texting each other. Like maybe somebody's not comfortable doing that, but you're also still getting essentially the two of us if you're dating one of us. And mm-hmm. we, we definitely had met, you know, some people too in the world of polyamory where there was like a lot of rules. And then it was kind of like, well, you know, I can do this, but my wife says I can't do it in the house and that we can't talk about this. And like, and it just felt very like 
not restrictive necessarily, but it just felt like maybe there was just not the level of honesty that we were kind of looking for in our relationships. Um, and so we kind of, you know, again, over the years have learned what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And it's fine if that's the way other people do it. Right. But I'm, I don't like having to look at my clock and be like, well, it's Sunday at 5 PM. That means I'm not allowed to text right now because that's the time that they said we can't text in and, oh, but now we can't do, that's just too much for me. Again, our calendars already are hard enough to keep track of. Sometimes I don't need to be trying to like piece together with somebody else's, you know, 18 calendars as well. But if it works for other people, that's cool too. It's just not how we do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. 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 I think that makes a lot of sense. And kind of like, yeah, as you're talking, like it kind of brings up hierarchy for me and how I'm curious how you two, what do you kind of fall into is like, how do you approach hierarchy in your relationship and in your, in your relationship and with others? That's an interesting question. We never sat down and like talked about like our hierarchy. It just kind of naturally happened where, yeah, Stephen and I, we are married. We are the primary partners of each other. We have children together. We have children together. Like legally we're married. We have bank accounts together. We own a house together. Like there's definitely things that we are very connected in a lot of ways my partner does not have anybody else except for me. So essentially I'm his primary partner, but he's Mm -hmm. kind of, I guess my secondary partner, but we've gotten into a good flow of that. He knows that Steven and I are not necessarily a step above mine in his relationship, but we just have that different connection because of the children and the shared, you know, whatever else. But the long term is that I see the three of us, you know, really being together. And, you know, we've talked about either getting like a really big house together where we could have separate spaces or maybe like tiny houses all on the same property. So we could still have separate spaces, but be together. Because again, as my work as a death doula has shown me towards the end of life, as we age, we need a different level of support that maybe I hadn't really thought about when I was younger, when I got into this, where now I'm starting to think, I might have to be taking care of two aging men, maybe that are sick. Like I might have to be the caregiver for two men. What does that look like? But at the same time, if Steven were to get sick, my partner 100% would be right here, right along with me, helping me care for him. And the same would be true if my partner got sick, Steven would show up just like he would for me. And so there's a lot of like intricacies in the way that we kind of structure our relationship, but we try not to make it that, you know, my and his decisions trump anybody else's decisions, you know, like we don't hold that type of like, well, whatever's better for me and Steven means that the, everybody else below us doesn't get the same, you know, respect or doesn't get the same say in what's going on we try, but like, we never really sat down and said like, Hey, we are the primary partners and all these other things underneath us. But when the conversations have needed to come up, I mean, at one point, his one partner, we did talk about having her move in with us and what that would look like co-parenting our children. And, you know, at that point I was like 100% behind it. I was like, sure, this could be amazing. Having another like person in the house to help me take care of kids. Yeah. What's there not to like about that? But 
that's not the path that we went down. But now that we went through that experience, would we potentially go that direction again? It's certainly not something Stephen's searching for now. Um, you know, his partner is married, has her own family, has her own kids, you know, like that seems to be fitting a little bit better in what he's able to provide at this point. Yes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that if the right person came along, that it wouldn't have potentially ended up. So like, we're just, we're so open to whatever experiences, but right now, like I am so happy with Steven and my partner that like, I don't know if I'll ever potentially date anybody else ever again, but I still am obviously I'm polyamorous. I'm still married. I still have my partner, you know, and I am not close to the idea of that in maybe five years or in 10 years. But right now, you know, with my life, the way that it is, the way that it's structured, I'm really happy and I'm really content with my two people that love me just like fiercely. And I love them both so much that it doesn't feel like Steven and I are like on a different level than my partner and I, it's just different. It's just a different Mm -hmm. relationship. And all of these relationships are different and you know, that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for expanding on that a bit. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I love it. And I, I think too, it's maybe actually a great place. You, you, you kind of touched on your work a little bit and I, Mm -hmm. I think, Expanding a bit on what your work is, and I think it, it is so well informed by the way you two live your life that I, I think it's amazing. And I would love to have that conversation around what you do. And so maybe explaining what what a death doula is and then like what maybe like what your work looks like and how maybe how it inspires the way you live or the way that you two live. Oh, 100 percent. I love talking about it, honestly. Um <laughs> So a death doula is a non-medical person, essentially, that works with people and their families at the end of life, similar to hospice in the sense that we show up and we support people and we help them through the emotional and the spiritual, essentially like stuff that comes up when we near death, because we don't talk about death in our culture. We don't see it in an real honest way. Most of the time, what we see in movies and TV shows is not what it looks like. And most of us have never seen somebody close to us. It's very, you know, separated. It happens in a hospital or it happens somewhere else, especially when you're children, you don't get to see it. And so what I do as a death doula is I come in and I support people through any fears and anxieties. I also support people in planning. So there's paperwork that, you know, a lot of death doulas will do. Um, but even just having a conversation of what do I want at the end of life? You know, what does Steven want at the end of life? It's an important conversation for us to have with our partners, but it's very uncomfortable because we've never done it. And Steven and I actually, again, big surprise when we were younger, we had this conversation because, uh, if anybody remembers Terry Schiavo, like 2003 Mm -hmm. or so, when I heard about what happened to her, I said to Steven, do not let that happen to me. Like, I do not need my family from New Jersey, super Catholic, swooping in and being like, nope, we are going to keep her alive at all costs because you know that's not what I want. And so we actually had it all written down while we were a lot younger because I absolutely did not want that for myself and he knew I didn't want it. And so we took care of that when we were younger. But most people don't have those conversations. 
And that's why as a death doula, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, when, when should I hire you? Like when somebody's actually dying? No, I mean, death doulas, we can really help at any stage of your life, help you have the conversations, think about what you want and plan for it. And we also, you know, not all death doulas, but I do work a lot with grief because I find that again, as a culture, we don't deal well with grief. We don't grieve properly. A lot of things, even the ending of relationships, that's something that I've had to really kind of work through with being polyamorous is, you know, we have all these different relationships and when they shift and when they change and when they end, some of it is really sad and it can feel threatening sometimes if your partner is like really upset about the ending of a relationship, if you're not understanding that this is part of the process. We have to grieve. We have to feel all of those feelings or else it's going to just get bottled up inside and it will come out eventually. So I do work with people on all different like areas when it comes to like end of life and grief. And the thing that I, I want to say it was a gift that was given to me that as I did my training to become a death doula, as I really thought about my fears because I didn't think I, I knew I was never afraid to die, but I was really afraid of Steven dying. I was really afraid of one of our children dying, like to the point where if I thought about it, like it would give me anxiety. It would make me feel a little bit sick, but working with all of those fears, working through those anxieties and just really spending a lot of time understanding the benefit of thinking about our death and our loved one's death. There's a lot of religious traditions that do that. So I'm actually Buddhist. I took my vows about a year ago. And in the Buddhist tradition, that's one of the things that they tell you is to meditate on the fact that you are going to die. Everybody that you love is going to die because that will really bring you to this almost like spiritual enlightenment state. That's one of the steps to like really getting there. And I noticed that over time, the more that I really honored my fears and anxieties, honored my old grief. I didn't realize that I had never grieved my grandfather that died when I was four until I started going through some of these exercises and like working through some of these different things and being like, wow, I'm actually really sad that he died. And I never was able to like have closure with that. I never got to say goodbye to him. I didn't get to go to his funeral. Like my family really was kind of like, one day he was there, one day he was gone. And that was kind of the end of it. And I had that grief stored up inside of me. I never grieved the fact that like my father was never around, which caused me a lot of problems as I got older. So working through all that allowed me to now I'm more patient with my family. I'm much more present with my family. When I'm here, I'm here. I'm here for this experience. I'm here for this conversation. I'm not thinking about what I need to do or stressing about something that I already did and I wish I could do differently. And it brought me to this place of really just living so much in the moment because I know that in the long run, whether it happens tomorrow or whether it happens when I'm 98, one day this is not going to be here. One day I'm not going to be able to like physically touch this person next to me that I love so much. Even if I believe in reincarnation, even if I believe that maybe, you know, my soul goes on somewhere else, my body is not going to be here. This version of me and this version of Steven is not going to be here. So it's just allowed me to appreciate my life in a way that I wasn't able to do before this. And that's some of the work that I like to do with people too. That's why I started a podcast myself, because I love having these conversations 
and really letting people listen to conversations. And the biggest compliment that I've gotten about my podcast is your conversations are calming and they're really beautiful. They're not scary. And all these things that I thought it was going to be when you talk about death, I'm like, well, no, it doesn't have to be that way, but because we've never done it. Some people have never said the word death or dying out loud. They'll say, oh, they passed away or, you know, I'm sorry you lost them. No, you didn't lose them. They died and that's okay. It's okay to say that. But because we've never done it, it seems really scary. And so there's that fear and that anxiety leading up to it. Then when you start the conversation, it's really not as hard as it feels like it's going to be. What's the name of your podcast? It's called Seeing Death Clearly. And Stephen actually was my first interview. I was like, all right. I was like, you're going to be my first one. And, um, you know, again, we've always been really good about talking about things that are uncomfortable and it just, it was a beautiful conversation and it was a great way to start off my podcast because I knew that I would feel really confident and comfortable talking to Steven first versus somebody else. And then I don't know, potentially not knowing what to say, even though I never have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really yeah. To say. <laughs> I love it. And what is the, the the basis of your podcast? Like, what is the the premise of it? I want to have open, honest conversations with people about their experiences in life around death and dying and their beliefs about it. And so it's really with people that are everyday people, including like my husband, Um, it's also with professionals that, you know, are working in the grief space or the death space that have written books. I mean, it's, it goes through the whole spectrum, but even the professionals, you know, I interviewed somebody the other day that works for hospice. And so we talked a little bit about hospice because most people don't understand hospice. They really have these like misconceptions about what hospice is. And then it led into a conversation of, you know, his beliefs about death and dying. And he's also um, gay. So he's in the LGBTQIA community. And then I talked about being polyamorous and like some of the intricacies of navigating the end of life when you're in a kind of like fringe community, because I didn't know for sure. I actually ended up talking with a lawyer. I said, what happens if my partner is in the hospital? And we're not legally married and he's dying. Can I even go see him? Do I have any rights? Like if his parents get called in because they're his next of kin, his dad doesn't know about me. So is his dad going to be able to stop me from coming in the hospital? And the lawyer was like, 100%. His father can stop you from being with him by his side unless he gets it in writing and you get all that paperwork taken care of. And I was like, damn, I am glad I know that because I would have been crushed if anything, God forbid, were to happen to him and I couldn't be with him. And it was just things that I hadn't thought about. Again, when I started this, you know, when Stephen and I were younger, you don't think about the end of life. You don't think about death and dying because you're young. Like, of course, you're, you're invincible. Exactly. Forever. Yeah, you're invincible. Yeah. But now it's really important for me to understand these things. And so these are the types of conversations that I have on my podcast of, you know, educating people, but also just making it normal to talk about our experiences with death and dying and grief and what that looks like for people 
because it is different for everybody, depending on where we grow up, what our religious beliefs were when we were children, even versus what they are now, like our experiences are different, but in the long run, we all are going to die. We're going to know somebody that's going to die. We're going to have to go through this and pretending that we're not going to really is not going to save us from anything. If anything, that's when the situation, when you are faced with it, that's when it's overwhelming and traumatic and super stressful because we hadn't thought about it and we hadn't prepared for it. And now all of a sudden, you know, again, God forbid, now all of a sudden it's in my face that Steven's in the hospital and these doctors are asking me all these questions about what does, what does he want? Does he want this? Does he want that? And I'm just overwhelmed with grief and emotions. And I have no idea because we'd never talked about it where now I feel better prepared. Yes. It would still suck. You know, like if he dies soon, I'm still going to be heartbroken. It's still going to be terrible, but at least I know what he wants. And I know that I will feel confident in making decisions and knowing that Mm -hmm. I showed up the best that I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. 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 Thank you for explaining all of that and sharing and for all of the work that goes into that too. I think it's uh, incredible and I'm excited to share your work in the podcast with our community as well. So well, thank yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. it because it is important in our community mm-hmm. to really think about these things and have these conversations. It will save a lot of us heartache and grief if we can have these conversations and again, just get it down in writing. If you have a long-term partner that you're not legally married to, because you don't want to end up in that position where you can't be with the person that you love because our society is set up for monogamous, you know, traditional relationships. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Thank you both. I mean, for everything you've shared today, it's been covered amazing. a lot of ground, and, I, <laughs> and there's more questions. Oh, like, man. I, I, like, I could we cool. could talk for the next five hours, but I yeah. will be respectful of your time. I would just maybe is there anything that we didn't ask about or talk about that that you both feel the passion to get out into the world? For me, the one thing that I want people to truly understand is that it's normal for people to have relationship styles like this. It's normal for us to develop these relationships. And we get questions a lot about like, what about your children? What about your children? Our children honestly are happy and they're healthy and they love our partners. It's not damaging them in any way. What damages them is when other people judge it and then say shitty things to them about their parents. But I check in with the kids all the time, you know, and our children will say, you know, like, oh, you know, my mom goes to her boyfriend's house on the weekends. And then her friends will be like, well, I thought your parents are married. Did they break up? Well, no, they're still married. Wait, your mom's got a boyfriend? Yeah. And my dad's got a girlfriend. And then they move on because kids are kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. And they move on and they don't care because I was worried about that. Like, oh, are their friends going to judge her? And she was like, my friends don't care. They are confused at first, but they don't care. It's the other adults that for some reason feel yeah exactly they feel shame and they like need to push it off onto us but like steven and i are happy and healthy our family is happy and healthy we were it's okay to live your life differently than what society tells us to so really like even if anybody's listening and they're kind of like i don't know you know 
can we do this if we have kids? Isn't it complicated? It's fine, life's, honestly. Life's complicated. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just part of life. Yeah, yeah life is complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think, too, it's, it's the shame that gets injected by the other parents and the other adults. But I, I firmly believe this. And yes, not this isn't for everybody, but I think there are so many people who, when they hear that, they're like, what the hell? I didn't know that was an option. Why, why am I living like this when that's an option? And then rather than do something about it, it's, well, let me make you feel shitty about the thing that I actually want for myself, but I don't know how to do that. So I'm just going to make you feel bad about it for a while. How right. about that? Like, yeah. yeah, great solution. I think too, like, I, I want to share a story real quick about our daughter. She's nine and how this is helpful for her and how it's giving her the language that she needs as she grows up and gets into her own relationships. My partner and I, we've been together about three years and, um, you know, she's married and she's got kids and we have a wonderful, wonderful thing going. Um, and we love each other deeply and we were having an argument recently and we, you know, we don't often get into arguments, but we were having some troubles. Right. So our daughter was like, dad, what's wrong? You know, I can tell something's wrong. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. She's like, no, really? You can talk to me. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> this is what's going on. Um, you know, we're having a disagreement and I told her all about it and she listened and she affirmed both of our feelings. She was like, well, I don't think Miss page has anything to be worried about, but I think you're doing the right thing. And it was really sweet and really affirming. And it, she was genuinely interested and there was no like awkwardness that like she's talking to her dad about her, dad's and his girlfriend's relationship, even though like mom's in the next room. Right. And then the next morning she like followed up. She's like, so how are you and Miss Paige doing? Yeah. And like, it was just so, it was just cool. Right. Yeah. I think it's helping her to have the language and, and we're modeling good behavior, relationship behaviors with her, both as a married couple and as a, as both as married parents and dating parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I just that happened recently and I just thought it was really cool and like really affirming to the lifestyle that we have that we're modeling this behavior for our kids yeah. and it's going to yeah. really help them as they get older. Yeah, you're modeling like authentic <laughs> communication, right? Like Yeah. And how cool that she like even checks in the next day. I know, right? She checked Amazing. in. How are you two doing? And I was just like so proud. Yeah. And of course it's always age appropriate conversation. Sure. Like I'm sure. I think our 12-year-old has a little grasp on what sex is, you know, but I think like our daughter thinks like when I go to my partners on the weekend, I think she thinks like we watch movies together and like we do, you know, like, so like it is still age appropriate, but mm -hmm. it's still in a way that, you know, I'm not hiding anything, you know, I'm not trying to be like, you know, there's any shame in the way that even though at first part of me wanted to be like, maybe don't tell your friends that like I have a boyfriend, you know, like, because again, mm -hmm. I was worried about it, but then I thought, no, I'm not going to teach her to feel any shame. And mm -hmm. so we try to have those conversations in a very open, honest, but also age appropriate way. Like you should have about everything, whether it's sex or death or anything else in life. Right. When my yeah. partner and I are having like private time, we talked to our therapist about this because we're like, how do we, we see a family therapist, like all, mm -hmm. all of us. I was like, how do I communicate to the, the girls? Cause our daughter and my partner's daughter are roughly the same age and are like best friends. And our therapist was like, well, why don't you just tell me you're making out? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. 
So then that's what that's like not a code word, but like when we need private time, we just tell the girls, you know, we're going to make out. And the girls were like, gross. Like we're out of yeah. here. Like here, have your <laughs> private time. And it works out because it's, it's like super age appropriate, right? They know what making out is, but it's also honest. Like that's what's going on. We don't need to make it age inappropriate. Yeah. Right. Um, but like finding again, like finding that language, finding it or making it age appropriate, but being honest about like what's going on. It's all just, it's good. It's healthy. It's healthy behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. And it's part of the journey. It's, it's part, part of the learning of experience the of being a human and being in a marriage together and being yeah. polyamorous and all the things. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're, you're not going to nail it every time. Right. We're not like pretending like we're not being physical. Right. Cause yeah. we're not, we don't want to associate same with uh, shame with that. We're getting physical. We're making out. Leave us alone. Right. <laughs> And they, that's that they understand yeah. what that means. There's no guessing there. Like, yeah. but they don't, they don't need to know more than that. Correct. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. No, that's great. Yeah. And I also lo- love that you mentioned too, like, we're all just human. We're all trying our best. We're doing the best we can and, and we're still human and we're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But, um, but if you can lead with an authenticity and integrity, it's, yeah, can make a huge. Don't be an asshole. Right. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Don't be an asshole. That's the that's the theme for today, for this whole weekend, and then maybe we'll take it into the rest of our lives. Perfect. I love it. Thank you both for yes, this. Thank you. This was an amazing conversation. So thank you, and have a wonderful rest of your Saturday and weekend. Yeah, yeah thank you, you as well. Say thank hi. you so much. Say hi to the West Coast for us. <laughs> we will. And we're back. Thank you so much, Jill and Stephen, for such an amazing conversation and for sharing everything that you did. We love talking to you. And thank you, Jill, for the work you're doing too. Um, just a quick reminder, Jill's business, End of Life Clarity, and her podcast, See- Seeing Death Clearly. So we highly encourage you to check both of those out. Links to both of them are in the show notes over at our website. We would love for you to check it out. And a few other quick reminders. We have a virtual meet and greet coming up this Friday, March 10th, 2023. These are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. We also have a new workshop on dating your way coming up March 30th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. And we will be attending the Southwest Love Fest, April 14th to 16th in Tucson, Arizona. Information about all of these are in your podcast show notes or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. One quick clarification on dating your way. Yes. We are not actually the facilitators Ooh, of, the, good point. of the workshop. That is hosted by Marie Tween, who was a former guest on the podcast talking about compersion, and she's an actual dating coach. Not something you and I are worthy of coaching at the moment. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. <laughs> but we will be. We're going to take the course. Oh, it's yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> it's like when you, you can actually be a piano teacher. All you have to do is be one lesson ahead of your students. So you can... <laughs> You can be taking lessons. You just have to be one week ahead of your... your <laughs> hashtag side hustle. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> but, sure. That that actually happened in a sitcom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go for it. No. King, no. King of Queens. <laughs> back back when Jerry Stiller was still around. And uh-huh. he, was, he wanted to teach kids how to play piano. So he was taking piano lessons and he was just one week ahead. <laughs> recipe for success anyway you're welcome you're showing your age thank you for indulging thank you for indulging me 
anyway, I'm going to stop now. You're going to stop? <laughs> I was going to say. Next so, If you want to talk about my age, hey, this was the cougar episode. You and Jill are both cougars. That's true. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Preying on us young, young defenseless, <laughs> nerdy, don't, don't nerdy even, men. Don't even go there. <laughs> Don't even go there. Anyway, next week, we have an interview with Laura, who hosts the Ready for Polyamory podcast. Which, by the way, we were on. We were a few weeks ago. So if you want to Google that, you could find links to listen to us talk to Laura on her show. Yep. And until next week, you've got lots of things you can go sign up for. Yes. So we expect you to go do all of that, and we'll see you in a week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.